the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 970 presents Eye on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information. From the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest in real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all of your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. Call now, 866-970-9622. 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elliman's CEO, Dottie Herman. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. I'm Zadie Herman, and you're listening to Eye on Real Estate. You know, it's nearly, I think, 10 years that we've been on the air, and we're proud to say that we are still the only show on talk radio that is all about real estate and everything that has to do with real estate, which we all know is so important to everyone, and never before has it been as important as it is now. Um, everyone is out there trying to find safe havens, and that's their home. We're in a kind of scary world, I think. I, I really have to shut the news off sometimes because I just can't listen to it. Uh, but homes and where people live is where they find safety, and we've talked to millions of sellers and buyers, and everyone's looking for a place that they can find peace and be with their families. Of course, our mortgage and finance expert is here. He's been here for 10 years also. Ace West Supart. Hi, Ace. How are you doing? Good morning, Dottie. Good morning, Stephen. Ace is vice president. What? It's a much nicer day today, so I'm excited for, for this Saturday for sure. Well, it was pretty rainy yesterday. I was driving on that. It was really downpouring. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, it was flooding and downpouring. So I don't have sun where I am, but um, maybe it will come out later. But I think we've had pretty nice weather considering. Yes, we've um, been lucky. been very as lucky. As always, I want to thank Ace, but I also want to thank Citizens Bank uh, for all of their support of this show. They sponsor our show. And Citizens has opened up a COVID-19 resource center, and they want you to know that they are there for you and so many people have so many questions because there are so many uncertainties now. Um, they understand the tremendous amount of financial and personal stress that this has put on everyone, this virus. So if you need relief or have any concerns or questions, uh, and again, questions don't cost anything to an- for you to get answers about your financial situation, please contact them. Um, helpful services and resources include economic impact payments, if, you know, if you're having trouble with your mortgage, anything you want. I would give you what you should punch in, but it's too long. So just call us at 866-970-9622 or get to us on uh, com. or we're in the process of, you can find it, but it's not complete. Uh, we're doing a Facebook Eye on Real Estate page, which is up, but we will uh, be able to be able to put the shows live on the Facebook page. We're in the process of doing that right now. So there, if you um, have to, can't listen to us at this time, you can always listen to us 
and uh, we'll be answering a lot of questions for those of you who can't call in and want to get us online. Also, our legal expert, um, Stephen Ebert, is here. Hi, Stephen. Good morning, Dottie. Good morning, Ace. I hope everyone had a great July 4th uh, last weekend. Um, and it's sunny over here in uh, Westchester, so hopefully it'll work its way east across the city and the island to you shortly. Hopefully. I will. I'm sure it will. And I forgot that. We were we, we took a day off, actually. <laughs> so uh, how was everybody's Fourth of July? Good? It, it was great. You know, I had a chance to, you know, do a lot with the family and, and you know, be around outdoors. It was a beautiful weekend. And, uh, you know, enjoy the, the local area. It was great. Yes, right. same here, Dottie. I, I you know, really, family. Really, what about you, Ace? Same, same, Dottie. Just met with family, uh, went out to the, uh, went out east, actually. And um, it's really nice um, out east. Being in the city for the last three months, it was oh. really great uh, getting out there and really just, you know, being one with nature and, and family. It was, it was amazing, actually. Yeah, you know, um, sometimes what we take for granted, you know, you know, and I have been out here, you know, my, I would say a good part of my life, and uh, I was back in the city, I had to go to my apartment for some things, and when I come back here, I feel like, oh my God, I mean, I feel like it's a different world, and I, the nature, it's just so beautiful, and, you know, you just get to really see what you've always seen, but sometimes have taken for granted, so I, I feel the same way as I feel blessed to be here. And I find a lot of peace with the ocean. So, you know, I just feel a, a peace. I've always loved the ocean. I don't think I could live any place that didn't have an ocean. So for that, we're all thankful. And, you know, I think we all have to kind of try to look at some of the good things because we are being bombarded with horrible news. Everything that I listen to, I don't think I find anything that they will, that the newscasters talk about that's positive. And, you know, we don't want to be Pollyanna, and the reality is we are going through a terrible time in our country's history. However, you could stop once in a while and talk about some of the good things, some of the, the friendships. Um, and on my Facebook page, I've asked people to, you know, talk about something good that happened during this, you know, virus. And a lot of people have said to me, you know, I finally met a neighbor of mine that I never had the time to meet and we got to know each other, and now we're friends, and people have really helped each other out. So there's a lot of good things happening. And when it comes down to it, I think um, we're, we're tough. Uh, we're just going to just get through this, but we'll get through this together. As always, I'll just quickly tell you about what happened in history on this day. So in 1859, Big Ben. Um, the great bell inside the famous London clock tower chimed for the first time. And, of course, this is my dad's idol. In 1914, Babe Ruth made his Major League Baseball debut, pitching the Boston Red Sox to a 4-3 victory over Cleveland. And in 1960, the novel To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee was first published. If your birthday is today, you have, you know, you have a good birthday. It's a big day for you, and I want to wish everybody a happy birthday, and you share your birthday with fashion designer, which was one of my favorites, Georgiana Armani, um, actor Lisa Rinna, and Swiss watchmaker Frank Moore. 
today, I don't know if any one of you guys know, but today is World Population Day. I'm going to talk a little about the world. And I have been, um, I think all of us, have been on so many Zoom meetings that I think I'm going to pro on it. But uh, I've been on so many CEO uh, Zoom meetings, and because people have been home a lot more, uh, I really, and I've had more time, so I've branched out, and a lot of the CEO meetings are not real estate necessarily, just CEOs who are running businesses and I had the opportunity yesterday to be um, on a, a really elite, I mean, I felt like I don't really deserve to be here, a group of 10 people that really were above, uh, you know, I mean, that I would only wish uh, to really know. And we talked about, everyone talked about, you know, their views on or what they thought this world was going to look like after this pandemic. And we started out, which I thought was interesting, so I'm going to ask Stephen Ace this question. We started out by they asked us, okay, well, we go around and ask, you know, what do you think that's going on that's a truth today, and what do you think that's going on that's a fallacy? Because there's so many conflicting stories. Um, but what I really want to talk about, which is what we talked about, and it's a really interesting topic uh, amongst other things, is what is the future of big cities? Since you're hearing so many stories, which we'll talk about of people leaving and moving to the suburbs or country, what is, what's, the, what's the future of big cities? And so that's going to be a big topic for us to talk about today. But before we get to that, I'd just like to ask, okay, Stephen and Ace, what, what do you think, what do you see, what do you feel that you're listening to that's real, that you think is going to continue to go on, that's correct? What do you think that's not correct? What do you think about the economy? Let me, I'd love to hear your points of view on a few things. And, again, with so many uncertainties in the world, uh, I don't think anybody knows 100%. So it's just what your gut feeling tells you. Stephen? Uh, sure. I, I, think there, I think there's a few things going on. Um, I think, number one, on sort of the personal level, I, I think right now one of the most important things our government and schools can work on is to make sure that there is a plan for the fall for kids going to school. And I think it is so important, one, for the educational development of the children, also for the psychological and emotional development of the children, and also the strain and to recognize the strain of the last few months and the summer will be on working families with school-age children. And so I think it's very important that a coherent plan be put in effect because if that is not done, it will, A, have a very negative impact on the education development of children, and B, it will be a great burden to working parents which will also have ripple effects into the economy. So that is, I think, something that needs to be really worked out in the next 30 to 45 days um, and a plan to be put in place. Very important. Agree. And, you know, it's going to talk about it a little later when we talk about the future of cities and what's going on with Manhattan. But those of you who don't live in Manhattan or have children that you're sending to school in Manhattan um, – you know, and I'm from Long Island, so it was kind of new to me when I started 20 years ago in Manhattan. Uh, the schools, uh, the the private schools that these kids go to could cost 50000 
even more a, chi- a child, and there's not enough schools. So you will see parents prepping their children at four years old and five years old to get into kindergarten because there's so few, there's not a lot of spots. So it's so competitive. And I would think, well, wait a second. I mean, how much could a five-year-old know? Because they would be freaking out because they to get their kids in schools. And there was a limited amount of openings uh, because there's not enough schools. However, uh, now most of these schools ask for deposits in February. Back then you had to give us deposits. So there's plenty of people who now have given a deposit to the school. I'm not sure how it's going to open. Don't know if it's going to, what, what it's going to be. Is it going to be virtual? How it's going to be? And a lot of the people, it's affecting the decision on whether they go back to the city or not. Um, so schools are really very important. And I think not only in the city, and my daughter's a teacher, we think that it looks like in New York City and uh, most of the suburbs, they're probably going to open them with some kind of, you know, mixed schedule where maybe you go to school two or three days so that they can do social distancing. But when you think about it, it is really hard to keep kids, especially young kids, away from each other. I mean, you know, it's really a tough, tough job. So everyone's working on it. I know I sit on the board of Adelphi University, and for the colleges, it's the same thing. They, they don't know how many parents are not going to feel safe sending their kids back to school. I think that it was Harvard that just announced that they were only doing virtual classes, and they weren't reducing the, the fee at all. That's correct. Yeah, not not one penny off. Um, not one penny off. Uh, well, at no. least they're not charging them to stay in the dorms, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, it's funny that the, some of the the colleges were happy about that because they really can't afford with all the safety things that you have to put in now, especially in schools where you dorm. Um, that's not being funded by the government, you know, federally. And that is such a big burden of extra money that you have to spend. And so if you reduce the classes or you reduce the fees because you say, listen, I'm not going to pay the same amount if my, my child is just going to be on virtual. Um, I'm not. Well, then the schools won't make it. And I think, and then don't quote me on this, but I think somebody from Harvard said, because they said, well, why should people pay the same amount of money for virtual when they're not really experiencing the whole college life? And they said, oh, well, it's about networking, okay, and the people that they meet here, even if it's online. So it's an interesting thing. But with this virus has really cut across every economic line and every institution, and um, it's really people that are just trying to plan because we've never had this before, and there's no formula. I mean, and, you know, and, that, and you can. And that, and that's you know, a, it's a great point, Dottie. And and I think and this is where the schooling ties in, the the extra cost of time, energy, and planning on those working parents, and then what does that mean for business, and then what does that turn into for the impact on the MTA for passengers traveling and the economic cost to the region. Um, And then also how many people are coming to work and then supplies and maintenance. So it's, it's a very big ripple effect. Um, And um, I think that's a key thing that they have to, uh, you know, make a plan and also 
people get around that. And I, I think, and this leads to one other point, if I may, before handing it over to Ace, the government needs to, when setting policies, not favor one group or another. I know we'll talk about this later, you know, favoring landlords over tenants or tenants over landlords. When coming out with legislation, they really need to have something comprehensive so that way everyone can plan. Because if you, it's, it's sort of like a balloon, right? If you sort of squeeze one side of it, it expands in a different part. And if you solve maybe one piece of the problem, but not look at it comprehensively, you're going to have other problems. And, and I think we'll talk about that with sort of landlords and tenants later in the show. I think that's really uh, so important to talk about because there's a lot of equity there. And um, I'd love you to talk about that when we get to that because it's just really you have to look at every side of everything, not just one side. And, of course, there's hardship for people who are renting, but then you have to think of the landlords. And also with the schools, for parents who have their children in school and are worrying, they really can't make plans of how they're going to take care of their kids if they don't know when their kids are going to be home, what days they're going to be in school. So they're like like in limbo, not sure exactly what it's, what, what it's going to be like. And if you have little children that are in school and you're working, you have to make plans for your children, for someone to watch them, and it's kind of a crazy. Um, Ace, what have you seen in uh, the financing, and, 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 you know, have people been not paying them? I mean, I have numbers on them not paying their mortgages. Uh, what's going on that you, you see? Yeah, I mean, Dottie, you know, I get asked this question almost um – weekly, if not, you know, almost every other day, right? Like, what what do we see uh, when it comes to financing? And I think um, we're starting to come out of it, Dottie, in terms of folks furloughing their payments or, you know, taking taking on the, um, the, the, the advancements that the government has been giving a lot of our home buyers, right? So, so I think, I think what we're seeing now is we're coming back to a, not what I would say a normalcy, but I think the effects of COVID-19 financially, we're starting to see some of the economy coming back, meaning phase three, right? We're anticipating phase four. What I do think that I'm seeing is that I, I, I do think policies need to change such such as the salt deductions of um, $10,000 per year, which I think right. they're working on changing and implementing, um, hopefully by next year, which will attract more folks from not leaving our city and staying. And then there's the pandemic, right? And I don't know if I am numb to this, um, but <laughs> I've seen 9-11. I've seen, you know, the economic crisis in 2009. And I just feel as if once there's a vaccine, I think definitely the next year to two, uh, we will be in a state of uncertainty. Um, but when I, when I talk to younger folks, I mean, they want to be out, right? When I, when I talk to a lot of these um, sort of millennials and, and folks that are, are looking to, to, to really feel that energy of the hustle and bustle, there really is no place like New York City. And I can tell you, tell everyone that's listening right now, once there's a vaccine, our, our habits and our, our, our thought process will change dramatically, just like how we were at an all-time high in the economy pre-COVID. Things Ace, changed 
Hold that thought. I think we're having a break. I want to finish up with that as soon as we come back from the break. Um, and then I want to ask you a question about this and compare it to 2007 and 2008 when the banks weren't getting paid and how this is similar or not so similar. We'll be right back. Call us at 866-970-9622. This is Dottie Herman. We're on Ion Real Estate. We'll be right back after the break. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel, language for life. Now try Babbel for free. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L dot com. Relief Factor. Effective pain relief that really, really works. How do I know that? I don't have a script. I don't have talking points. I live it. I've been taking it for a year and a half. I had a lower back pain issue that had been plaguing me for nine years, almost a decade. I took Relief Factor for two weeks. Yes, two weeks and my pain was gone and it's still gone. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. Don't take my word for it. See their incredible video testimonials at relieffactor.com and then find out for yourself if this incredible drug-free product could work for you as well as it does for me and tens of thousands of Americans. It's so very, very simple. Go to relieffactor.com, order the three-week quick starter pack. It'll be at your door in three days or less. And I guarantee it, Dr. G's guarantee, if you take it morning and evening, as do I, for three weeks, by the end of that time, you will know if it works for you like it works for me. Thinking about life insurance? Did you know in just a few minutes you can find the best price from up to 10 price competitive companies for free? You can with SelectQuote. For example, George is 39. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $22 a month. I'm SelectQuote agent Dan Savino, and believe me, If SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 800-607-3551. That's 800-607-3551. 800-607-3551. Or go to SelectQuote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. Take AM 970 The Answer anywhere you go with our mobile app. Get in on iTunes, Google Play, or listen on TuneIn, iHeart, Alexa, or Radio.com. Could your Remington rifle fire on its own? It's a danger that could be affecting hundreds of thousands of them. This weekend on Champions of Justice, Tom Girardi gets the scoop on the story with Arthur Bryant, the chairman of Public Justice, America's public interest law firm. And what unfair requirement could keep you from getting medical care? You'll be shocked. 
Tune in Champions of Justice Sunday mornings at 10 here on AM 970 The Answer. Meet Dr. Gil Lederman, New York's only Harvard-trained, triple-board-certified radiation oncologist who brings you the latest cancer treatment news from world-renowned cancer experts delving into special cases. It's the Radio Surgery Show, Sunday nights from 7 to 9 on AM 970, The Answer. Want more? AM 970, The Answer? Go to am970theanswer.com to listen live. Tune in to podcasts from the shows you missed anytime you want. Learn more about our advertisers. Join the AM 970 fan club and sign up for events. am970theanswer.com. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. We're back, and before the break, we're talking to Ace, and um, I'll ask you this, Ace, that one-third of all Americans have missed their housing payments in July, and 32% total, okay, 19% made no payment, and about 13% made some sort of payment, but not the full payment. The number of Americans seeking unemployment at this time is dwindling, but remains remarkably high as recently... Um, we reopened. Um, the spike with this virus is making some business, just, especially smaller businesses, just not think, thinking it's worth it. And 1.3 million workers filed for first-time unemployment insurance last week alone. Um, 15 million Americans have made jobless claims. Now, with all this said, we went through, I don't know the numbers, I can't remember them, of the financial crisis in 2007 and 2008. But, again, people were not paying their payments, and it really put a strain on the banks. Um, how is this different, or is this the same, and how do you think the banks are dealing with it? Because if I remember, people were having their houses foreclosed and things of that nature, because I remember people calling the show up and saying, you know, they're, they're, you know they really tried not to, but they were in foreclosure. How is this different, Ace, you know, because we were doing the show then, I, you, we both did. How is it different then or the same or similar? What's the differences and similarities of the, the financial crisis then to now? Ace? Hi, Dottie, can you hear me now? Yes, I couldn't hear you. I'm sorry, okay. you know, we're doing the oh. best we can. So what are the similarities <laughs> or differences between the, the financial, you know, because people weren't paying their mortgages then. I'm sure there are not many people paying, not paying them now, and I've read that probably a lot of people will never pay them back. What, how is it affecting banks, and what's the environment like with the, di- the difference between now and the financial crisis we had in seven, in 07 and 08? Yeah, I, I can tell you with, this whole pandemic, there's been a lot of government assistance, right? So the forbearance came out um, really to help our, our fellow home, um, homeowners. And I think a lot of people took on the forbearance um, knowingly that they can still pay. So I think that statistic right. is a little bit misleading, Dottie, um, just because, okay. um, yes, there, have, there, there has been a tremendous amount of folks that have um, participated in the forbearance but when you sort of look into the details, which we are as a bank, right, and you sort of see the whole landscape, a lot of folks have 
because it has an adverse effect on their ability to um, take out a mortgage down the line, a lot of folks now are coming out and saying, hey, we know we participated in it, but we never needed it, right? So there's a huge group of folks that didn't really need this forbearance, but really um, utilized it because they thought, hey, you know, why not? It's for a rainy day. You know, let's just build up our cash flow. So there's a little bit of that um, within that statistic. But going back to your question, Dottie, in regards to what are the banks doing? Um, well, they've changed their guidelines. So, you know, if, if you're a, a person that's looking to refinance their mortgage or purchasing um, a property, you'll see that the banks have tightened up their guidelines just a bit temporarily, just to make sure that they're lending responsibly and that they're not um, going back to the days of 2008 where they're lending and folks can't pay for their for their mortgage, right? So there is a responsible lending sort of mentality um, approach behind all of this. And, and remember, this is not a, a permanent adjustment to the guidelines. It's a temporary. Um, examples of that would be putting a little bit more down payment, making sure that the debt-to-income ratio uh, compared to what they're borrowing and how much they're making right now with their current state of income is comparable. So there are things that the banks are doing to ensure that our, our, our buyers and our borrowers are put in the best position possible, right, Dottie? And I think the biggest difference between now and 2008 is that uh, banks aren't just lending to anyone. Um, so there is that, you know, you still need to have an amazing credit, right? 720, 740 and above to get the best rates. And um, there's a lot of responsible lending. What, what, what I am seeing is a pent-up demand in purchase, Dottie. You know, we've all been talking about, will purchase come back? Will people start looking for homes again? Well, I can tell you the last three weeks, we've had record, record-breaking um, applications for pre-approvals and real um, loan applications for purchase. So that was a little bit astonishing to me, as I, I felt it would take a little bit of time before we sort of saw a resurgence in that purchase um, sort of space, but we've seen a lot of activity, Dottie. So, you know, some some positive, some some positive signs uh, amidst you know post COVID. Right, and wouldn't you say, Ace, that prior to the the financial disaster we had in two thousand seven and two thousand eight, people banks were lending people like ninety five. You know, they were just giving them any amount of money, like they had stated income, like, oh, how much do you make? Well, I make a million dollars. I just made that up, but we're not. If your credit was okay, they gave it to you. And so after that crisis, they required a better down payments. So you don't, you, people have more equity in their homes now, correct? I mean, wouldn't that be a big difference? Back then, you know, there's this running joke. If you had a pulse, um, you received yes. a, a mortgage from a bank, right? So um, it's not qu- quite like that anymore, which is great. Um, so banks are still um, lending responsibly, right? Good credit, higher down payments. Um, now, during um, pre-COVID, we saw banks really seeing confidence because you have to remember, Dottie, before um, COVID happened, um, the, the the rate of a default for for mortgage was less than one percent, right? So wow. there was a huge confidence in in lending um, up until um, COVID happened. So you know we've seen a resurgence not only in equity uh, for folks that own homes since 2007, 2008, and we've seen the performance of a lot of these mortgage notes performing really, really well for banks, right? So there's been a shift, and and that's where I I feel the real estate market will still hold strong. Um, Yes, will there be maybe a 10% um, sort of 
um, decrease because of COVID and things of that nature? I, I believe so. I think we're seeing it today. But I think depending on the market that you're in, um, right. you can actually follow markets that are actually going through bidding wars today, right? So, so there's not a one-size-fits-all. Well, I, I, I have to really tell you a funny be- story. Okay, yeah, I got a done. call from Jay Parker, who runs our, our yeah. uh, Douglas Elliman in Florida, the other, yesterday, actually. He said, Dottie, I have to tell you this. And I said, what? And he said, now, you know Horace, but there is an agent who really was like, uh, one of the most big, largest agents in uh, Douglas Elliman, and when I got there, she had already been in the business like 50 years, and she just taught me everything about the city that I didn't know. She's probably close to 90 now, and he said to me, Dottie, Betsy Green just sold a $20 million house in Palm Beach. Yeah. Okay, and I was like, wait, I called her up and I said, way to go, Betsy. I mean, mean, it was just amazing. So, yes, there are big sales. But, you know, I wanted to ask uh, Steve, like, today is actually uh, World Population Day. And so as of March, uh, there were 7.8 billion people on the globe, you know, and um, the population is expected to, in 2050, be, uh, you know, close to 11.2 billion. And 50, oh, a little over 50% of the world's population is male, and it's like 49, 51, something like that. And so it's pretty close. Um, The median age of the global population, that is the age at which half the population is older and half the population is younger. What do you think the median age is? Globally? Globally. Globally, it's probably in the 20s. Well, you know, I wouldn't have guessed that, but you're close. It's 30 years old. That's the median age of, yeah. the, of the global population, so it's young. And more than three-quarters of the world's population, three-quarters live in Africa. Um, and 17%, you know, and then 60% are in Asia. So there's, did I, yeah, no, 17% are in Africa. Okay. However... I think it's really important to talk about New York City because New York City's metro uh, rivals no one else's. It is bigger than Brazil, South Korea, Canada. There are 63 million visitors that come to New York City annually. That's before the pandemic. Okay. The city is so important to the economy. It's the global hub of business. There's dozens of companies in New York. Wall Street's there. Economic output of New York City rivals that of the entire nation. What is the future of New York City and big cities? What do you say? I want to talk to you about that. Steve and Ace, and just, I think we have a break coming up. But I think it's really important to talk about it in the rental market. I've always wanted to learn another language, but every time I try, it never sticks. So I decided to give Babbel a try, and I really like the teaching method of the app. I started with the beginner lesson on Babbel, and it starts with simple words and phrases, and soon you're putting those words into a conversation. Each lesson takes about 10 to 15 minutes, and they're all really different, which keeps things interesting. 
The app is really smart. It actually keeps track of the words I'm struggling with so I can practice them and get better. I chose Babbel because it was created by real language teachers. They built it around real life, how people actually communicate, and what they care about. I can't wait to use my new language skills in the real world. Dos cervezas, por favor. <laughs> With Babbel, get conversational in Spanish, French, German, and more. It just takes 10 to 15 minutes a day. Now try Babbel free. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. In an era where it's tough to know which news outlet to trust, at a time where it's difficult to find facts, not just opinion, there is an oasis in the news desert. It's the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis, the personification of the American dream, who built a multi-billion dollar business empire, talks with some of the nation's top newsmakers every Sunday morning at 8.30 a.m. You won't just hear partisan spin. You'll hear directly from the newsmakers who are shaping the news cycle in the city, the country, and the world. On the Cats Roundtable, you won't just hear about politics. You'll hear about science, business, education, animal rights, and any other topics that you're interested in. Catch the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning starting at 8.30 on AM 970. The Answer. Hey, are you guys open? Yeah, yeah, we are. Come on in. As businesses reopen across the nation, is your business prepared for what comes next? Salem Surround can help. COVID-19 brought America's thriving economy to a screeching halt. But now, local businesses are getting back to normal, and families are getting out to shops, stores, and restaurants. Are you ready for the return to business and all that pent-up consumer demand? Business recovery plans should be ready to go right now. The marketing team at Salem Surround is ready to help, so you don't waste a minute or a dollar recapturing market share. We'll help design your recovery plan targeting potential customers with proven marketing strategies. With everything in our toolkit working for you digital audio mobile even audience engaging contests and promotions contact salem surround for a free evaluation of your digital marketing plan learn more by logging on to surroundnewyork.com connecting you with new customers Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or radio.com. As the will of the students goes, so goes the will of the nation. This is the central theme of the new movie, Return to the Hiding Place, a film about Corrie Ten Boom and her family's heroic efforts to hide and save Jews from the Nazis during World War II and about her secret army of teenagers. Watch this captivating movie tonight with your older children at SalemNow.com and save 20% with promo code WNYM. Return to the Hiding Place at SalemNow.com and promo code WNYM. Listen to AM 970 The Answer on Alexa. Tune in, iHeart, or Radio.com. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. We're back, and I'm here with Ace Lowe Supar, our financial pro, and Stephen Ebert, our legal expert and myself with real estate. We try to cover all the bases and right before the break I was talking to Stephen um, about 
New York City and the rental market. And, Stephen, I, I, I looked up, and it's, basically it's been the headlines this week in so many stories I read about it. And it, it said that New York's largest rental market, which is the largest rental market in the country because uh, so many people in New York don't own, and they're two-thirds of New York is renters. Um, but it was the worst June in decades, and the rental market was showing a lot of damage, and uh, there was a big rise in empty apartments, and there's a, the vacancy rate is, like, very high, which means the amount of apartments that are unoccupied, and uh, rents fell. I, they fell on the average of 6.6%. And, again, that's not exact, but that's around. So what's going on, Stephen? And you were talking before this about, you know, landlords and tenants and, you know, the, you know, the tenants didn't have to pay. You know, and you deal with this. I'm sure you have a million cases. What's going on? So the, the, there's a lot going on. And, and let me first start with my sense of the market and, and then get into some of the laws that are there because there's also a lot going on there. Um, you know, some of the – What's interesting is with the statistics is that the New York statistics on leasing historically are just such a different world than the rest of the country, right? When they're talking about a massive increase in vacancy, you know, New York was at a vacancy of around 1%, 1.5%, and they're talking about a vacancy of now approaching 5%. The irony, and I want to mention this, in that it's considered having, as this is sort of a national guideline, you want to have about a 5% vacancy. And I mention this because you can't be sustainably at 100% rented out. Property needs to come off the market at times to be renovated, to be upgraded, to be maintained. And for a very long period of time, you had property just one tenant after another after another, and you can slap on a coat of paint real fast for the next tenant, but you need to at times take the inventory out of the market, have it empty, just to make upgrades and renovations. So that's a point I just want to make. And yeah. keep them, And it's a very, very important one because well, at a certain for, point it's unsustainable for your inventory if it's always rented and you never right, upgrade. So for people who are reading these articles, you're saying a 5% vacancy rate is probably like a normal, a decent rate. I mean, it's not hard. You know, it's that hard. is considered a normal vacancy rate nationally, and that is the rate you need to roughly have to actually maintain your inventory. You know, and, and so, and this is why if you're an investor and you're going for a loan, you know, the banks are not going to give you every penny on the dollar of rent earned as income, right? If you're going to get a mortgage, and Ace can tell you this, they'll give you a dollar on the dollar of salary, but they'll typically give you 70 or 75 cents on the dollar for rental income because you have to put some money back into the property to maintain it because it is being used at some level. So it's a very, very important point to put out there. So before people say, oh, my goodness, you know, the vacancy rate tripled. Right. Well, that's a true number, but let's actually not have what I like to call a gee whiz stat, where, oh, my goodness, I hear some number of a massive increase, when let's talk about in real, in real terms actually what that means for the market and what's really going on. It's a very important point. 
So what's um, what? Okay, so when you because that, that was the headlines all over. I mean, I've read it in so many papers about how many, you know, that so many apartments and that the landlords now are not getting paid, but then the tenants really didn't have to pay. So yeah, because obviously well, now that gets to the next you issue. Go the evictions. I mean, I think for people who might not, there's just been so much stuff going on. Well, maybe you could go through that in New York State they couldn't evict anybody, right? So. Right. So let me go on with this. So let me uh, let me give take a moment to give a little bit of background before I want to say something very, very clear, regardless of where one falls into, you know, a permissible temporary nonpayment. The reality is that obligation is still there. And so even if there is a temporary lack of ability of using housing court or the lack of temporary ability for marshals to execute on an eviction order, that is ultimately a temporary situation. And that does not mean, and any tenant thinking that they just don't have to pay, it doesn't mean they have the right not to pay. It doesn't mean that ultimately the landlords can't collect. What it is, it's a temporary pause for landlords to be able to go after tenants. Now, we need to distinguish between residential and commercial. So right now I'm talking about residential. Okay. Um, a couple of things. One, there was order number one that goes to June 20, and then there's order number two that goes to August 20. So we're now in round two of it. Um, up through June 20, pretty much landlords couldn't do anything if tenants weren't paying. What's happened now is... Um, tenants who are experiencing financial hardship due to COVID-19, which is a little bit of a squishy proof issue at times, right? right. I mean, it's financial hardship that I'm having a temporary 25% cut in my income. Maybe, maybe not, right? What's This is not tested, um, right? If your income is $200,000 and you're only making 150000 a year, but your rent is 3000 a month. Either way, you could afford it, but also because you've lost 25% of income, right? Do they have right? to prove it? But do they have to prove it? Like, did they have to show any proof? Well, this is where it gets tough because the way this, these laws are written, they're really untested. And, I'm, and I must say, and this is, and I know we try to avoid politics in the show because this is not about it, but I would say right. as a concept, the government did not write these rules well, in my opinion. They're not well-defined. They're not clear. And also, they create uncertainty for both sides. Um, and that's the problem, in my opinion. It's not a well-written law because you want people to be able to understand and know what to do when you see a law. And the way these laws are written, in my opinion, they're not very clear. They're, they're loosely defined stuff like financial hardship. Right. And like in the example that I gave, on the one hand, if somebody said my income's down 25 percent, that sounds like hardship. At the same time, somebody who makes one hundred and fifty thousand a year instead of two hundred thousand dollars a year should still have no problem paying three thousand dollars a month in rent. So um, but the law doesn't really delve into that. So that, that's an issue. And also, even if you have a court order, and even if a landlord has a court order right now, uh, temporarily, it, it marshals, um, which are the law enforcement angle 
of the courts, not, not the police, which is the executive branch, they're not allowed to enforce those judicial orders temporarily. So even if a tenant has lost, you're not allowed to self-help in New York. A landlord can't walk into someone's apartment and say, see, I won the case. I'm tossing your furniture out in the street. You're required to get a marshal. And right now, temporarily through August, the marshals can't enforce the orders temporarily. So that, that, that's what's going on on the residential so side. in other words, if you didn't pay your rent, there's, you know, you, you know, and I, I think it's really important for what you said at the beginning that people should know, even if you think you're getting away with it, you eventually have to pay the piper somewhere along the line. But if you, but for now, if you don't pay the rent, in other words, they're not going to be able to take you and throw you out like with a foreclosure, like or eviction. Okay, and 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 how quickly can you get it? Like. Could you talk about, I don't know if we're going to have time until after the uh, news, but, I mean, that's really what I wanted to ask. I, I was reading that landlords can now do evictions, which they weren't allowed to before, correct? Well, they can bring a case. So now that we're past June 20, so now that we're in the June 20 to August 20 timeline, landlords can initiate the case, but they also need to sign an affidavit that the tenant has not suffered COVID financial hardship. That puts a lot of landlords in a very, very tricky position um, because that was not what was called for in their lease. It's a very fuzzy question. Um, and, and so, you know, you're going to probably see a lot of landlords be very, very cautious because there's a potential fine that's out there. And they'll probably wait Assuming there's wouldn't no everybody say, Couldn't everybody say most shouldn't wouldn't the majority of people say since the city was locked down for three months and that there was you know or a business they that they had a financial some financial hardship? I mean, if it's you're saying it's not really defined on how much of the hardship is, or you could have a hardship and still be a millionaire. So what? So since it's not defined, you're saying that they're allowed to evict. But they really, as long as you got to be careful, you got to be very, very careful with your landlord because you don't want to put yourself at risk if the tenant comes back and claims a hardship. Now, even though there might be an emotional hardship, if someone's still being paid their salary in the normal course and is working from home, I think that's very clear. It's not a financial hardship. They're getting paid just like they've been regularly being paid. So that case, you know, so that case, the landlord would feel safe. But I think what's going to happen is a lot of the cases that would be coming will probably come after August 20th, right? If I was a landlord, I'd say, you know what? Unless if I really, really knew, let me line up all my paperwork so that way on August 21st, I'm going to issue a whole bunch of filings. So to me, what's August 20th again? What's that date again that you? August 20th is the expiration of the secondary part of the executive order. I believe it's order 202.28, if I remember the number correctly. But basically what happened was there was order number one that lasted to June 20, and the courts were closed. Now you have courts reopening, but there was a 60-day limited ex extension until August 20th for that those who tenants who are experienced COVID-19 financial hardship that they couldn't be forced out and also no discrimination is allowed 
against anyone who has suffered from COVID-19 from a health point of view. Um, that, that's wrapped up in there. So, you know, we, we're sort of in this limited window right now. But if I was a landlord, I, I, would, I would be cautious and, um, you know, and, and really make sure. And, and they're really putting, and the law puts a very, very harsh obligation on the landlord that in case, if they make a mistake on this point. So the landlords have to really exercise a lot more due diligence. And it really increased the cost to landlord. You know, one of the things about residential evictions, for a lot of things, it's fairly boilerplate. And so now all of a sudden, it's now really forcing landlords to be private investigators in a way in which they haven't had to be in the past. Um, so but, it's but, but, a let me say, the, the, I, the, Again, didn't you, like, you Cuomo signed something, the Tenant Safe Harbor Act, which, you know, mm-hmm. allows tenants who can document what you said, financial distress. Now, but if you but when you say financial distress, maybe because some companies cut some people's pay 20%, some did 30 some did 5 uh, So, you know, some, you know, were hurt a lot and some weren't. So could it be any financial distress? I mean, like, could it be like if I, like, you know, if my employer cut me 5%, well, that's still financially, you know, it's less money than I made. I mean, is there any definition of what constitutes financial distress? I, I don't. I don't see it in the order. I mean, these executive orders are two, three pages. You know, it's almost like bullet points. Um, it's like if you remember, it's like Cliff Notes on a novel um, back in the day. You know, right, you, you really right. get, and, and so, and, and and so, there's not a lot of guidance with it because these are being really churned out fairly quickly. So. Um, what well, would know, you say is, that, Stephen, that we're like, because of this hit us out of the clear blue, I mean, well, one day it was just like all over the place, and they tried to act quickly, and so therefore they gave money out to everyone, maybe too much, and maybe some people who didn't deserve it, but they tried to do without really thinking it through, because there's no way they could have had time to think it through. I mean, they, they kind of put it together, one, two, three, and obviously it's not a clear-cut thing. But, you know, I know I mean, And that's the thing. It's like whenever you, have, whenever you have rules like this coming out, it's helping some. It's either over-inclusive or under-inclusive. It's very tough. You're right. It's very tough to get it just so right because you have to make decisions with big economic numbers very quickly with incomplete information. And if you do too little, you'll be criticized for saying, hey, you knew this, this was COVID. You should have done more. And then if you do too much, you're going to be criticized for saying, oh, you're just throwing away money. So it, I'd like it is, to, we're going to do the news yeah. now. But, Stephen, I'd like you to, you know, you, you have clients that are landlords. You, pro- you have clients that are tenants. I'd like to, like, after the news, for you to talk a little about the size of both. Because I think that people have to look at both sides and try to find something that's fair for both people. And it could have been a little lopsided. Because as I had landlords call me and say, Dottie, I'm not a a millionaire. Right away, people think landlords, and I think they think right away they're rich. Ion Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank N.A.